You're listening to the ESO Network, your station for all things geek. Welcome back to Earth Station Trek, a show where we trek from the early days on NBC to the future on Paramount Plus and everywhere in between. I'm Charles Kelso, and it's my privilege to introduce the Earth Station Trek crew, Keith Johnson. Greetings, all. Alan Seiler. Hello. And Veronica Dashel. Hi. Okay, so uh, we have um, a special interview with uh, author John Jackson Miller coming up in just a couple of minutes. But before that, I want to get into some news that happened this week, because there's a, a lot of stuff that happened uh, this week. So first of all, uh, back in 2018, Alex Kurtzman, who is the current uh, showrunner for Star Trek, uh, came into the Trekverse with a five-year contract to run Trek and develop the future of the franchise. Mm-hmm. Uh, just a couple of days ago, uh, it was announced that Viacom CBS has extended that contract up through 2026, which makes him the franchise head honcho for it, at least up through the 60th anniversary. Yeah. yeah. Um, so I, I think that's a that's an amazing thing because it shows that um, Paramount and Viacom are invested in Trek. Right. Yeah. That they <laughs> they have a plan for this to continue on the way it's going. So yeah. he's like Rick Berman was a few years ago when Berman kind of got the baton from Rottenberry, I guess. Yeah. 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 That was more than a few years ago now. Keith. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> right. <laughs> Uh, yeah, it shows that they've got faith in him. Why wouldn't they at this point? Because it's, I mean, yeah. they seems they seem to be wildly successful, and yeah, you know, he's he's. It seems like he's doing a good job of reaching out to people who have a great vision and passion for what they're doing. People like yeah. Mike McMahon, bringing people yes. like that in, right on. Yeah, and it's not going to be Alex Kurtzman creating and writing every episode that comes out. <laughs> of, on, no. yeah, I mean, he's. Um, he's sort of masterminding the whole thing, which I think is great. And it sounds like he's got even more plans to keep growing the franchise. Yeah. uh, Over Marvel. Yeah. One of the quotes that I found was if it were up to me only, I would be pushing the boundaries much farther than I think most people would want. I think we might get there. Marvel has actually proven that you can, but you have to build a certain foundation in order to get there. And we're still building our foundation. Yeah. Yeah. If, if the stuff that we have going on right now is is still foundation building, just imagine oh my gosh. what what can come after this. This is yeah. incredible. Yeah, absolutely. And I think he's right about that too, because I find, like in for instance, in Discovery, the first season two Discovery was you know, pretty dark and grim for Star Trek, yeah. and then they announced Section Thirty One, and I was like, ah, that sounds like even darker and grimmer. <laughs> right. <laughs> but now that you've got like lower decks and Discovery season three, I find like, okay, well, let's give. The dark star trick a try you know what i mean I, I feel like as long as there's you know the lighter the end of it and there's the, yeah. the funnier and fun end then right, sure, right. Let's, let's play with it right um so next on my list is that discovery season four is very very close to wrapping um, it's expected to uh they're expected to finish up all photography and all that stuff uh this month and uh at least three actors so far have uh, tweeted or stated somewhere that they have finished their stuff. And Patrick Kwokchun, David Ajala, and Anthony Rapp have all said that they have um, that they have wrapped their work. Um, Anthony said that there was still 
some filming to do on one location, but that Stamets isn't part of those scenes. So he's done, even though there's a little bit more work to go. Uh, and uh, post-production is already is in full swing. And uh, very recently, Michelle uh, Paradise, who's one of the showrunners, uh, said that she had just watched a rough cut of episode two with a full sound mix. And it's she says it's amazing. But of course, she would say that because yeah, <laughs> it's her job it. to say that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So that's exciting. It won't be long. And that's that'll be, you know, yeah, uh, I'm excited about it. So am I misremembering last week or did Strange New World start and finish while Discovery has been filming this whole time? It seems like Discovery started quite a bit before. It did. Uh, they've been in production for a, a, a little over nine months, but wow. um, I, uh, Strange New Worlds is a slightly shorter. Slightly shorter. It's 10 episodes as opposed to 13 yeah. or whatever. But Discovery then also, I guess, Discovery started when COVID was, uh, there, the situation was different. There was that period where Discovery had to shut down for mm. a couple of weeks because of uh, an exposure. Yeah. Um, but then, you know, there were. Uh, there were some like remote crews that were still working while that was happening. Mm. Um, and, you know, a couple of weeks later, everything's back in full swing. So mm -hmm. there was that one little bit of delay. So, yeah. yeah. Well, great. Story number three. Uh, and this is uh, August 17th, which is also the day that John Jackson Miller's new book comes out. Um, we're going to see the release of a two CD fully remastered score for Star Trek II: the Wrath of Khan. Hey. Oh, I know. That's uh, going to be awesome. I can't wait for it. Awesome. There's good music in that. Um, oh, yes, there is. Yes, there <laughs> is. And the final story, which is maybe maybe only a kind of a story. Don't know anything yet. But Nana Visitor, who, of course, played uh, Major Kira on DS9, uh, tweeted out a picture a day or two ago. She's behind a camera. Uh, and it comes with the caption, quote, Nothing better than working with an old friend, DS9 director of photography, Jonathan West, followed by hashtag DS9, hashtag women directors, hashtag exciting, hashtag hmm. new project, hashtag Star Trek. <laughs> so Deep wow. Space Nine's back. Well, <laughs> maybe not, huh. but um, now it's very nonspecific, uh, yeah. but in comments, uh, she confirmed that this is something that she is directing. And uh, one of the uh, responders asked if the Star Trek hashtag meant something exciting. And she said, I think it really is. So no idea what any of this is about. Yeah. It, it may not be Star Trek related, but she didn't say that it isn't. She could just be saying it's really exciting to be working with the old director of photography. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. I'm going to try not so, getting too excited about that. No, no, but. no, no, no. I know. Who knows? Maybe it's another short track. Maybe it's Who nothing knows? at all related. Yeah. So we'll have to wait and see. Awesome. Maybe it's something like the captains, but uh, for, for D space nine, I would love right. something like that. Right. Yeah. Yeah. That would, I, would, I would love. Yeah. The first officers or something. That's, that's a great idea. That is they a killer should, idea. They should do that. <laughs> Holy. Yeah. I would love to see that. Oh my gosh. Keith. <laughs> All right, so we're going to take a quick break to promote our fellow ESO Network podcast shows. And then when we come back, we have an exclusive interview with Star Trek and sci-fi writer John Jackson Miller. So stay right there. Welcome to Dr. Geek's Laboratory. 
Dr. Geek here with another reminder that the ESO Network is pro-science and pro-vaccine. We urge you to be a superhero and protect yourself, your family, and your fellow geeks around the world. Don't be fooled by the forces of evil and their anti-science misinformation campaign. Consult the latest CDC guidelines, your doctor, and get the COVID vaccine today. Do you like podcasts? Then you're gonna hate Thunder Talk. Tasteless subject matter. Mature humor. Contempt for our co-hosts. Unapologetic social views. Edgy music. And total irreverence for the nerd junk we love. Are all reasons why no one. No one. No one should listen to Thunder Talk. Find us on the ESO Network. And all podcasting platforms. Or don't. Whatever. We have a very special guest star this week. Joining us, Star Trek novelist John Jackson Miller. Welcome to the show. Hey, glad to be here. Hey, John. How are you? It's been a long time. It's like, <laughs> it's like nine years since I've seen you. It's... I mean, uh, the first time that I met you, uh, I was running the Doctor Who convention here in Atlanta. And yeah. we were coming up on the Star Wars 40th anniversary. Yeah, it was. Well, it was. I think I, the, the time gate was like 2012, but uh, that, I guess that was the first time. Uh, but yeah, it was a long oh, time ago. Yes, oh, yeah. right. Yeah. That's, I forgot that we, that you were that you came down before. The, okay, well, that's cool. Well, it's, it's a it's a pleasure to see you again. Well, I, I drove it, so I'm, I, I wasn't going to forget that. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I remember, and I was, uh, it was the after, Friday afternoon, and I was headed off to run an errand from the convention and ran into you in the parking lot. I mean, not ran into, you, <laughs> but encountered you in the parking lot. So anyway, how are you tonight? I'm all right. Uh, back from galaxy con Raleigh. So that was the first convention back on the, uh, yeah. back on the trail, I guess. That was going to be my first question. How did that experience go? Uh, it was surreal. Uh, you know, it, 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 as a convention, it looked like nothing had ever happened. I mean, you know, yeah, there were some masks, but at the same time, people are masked anyway, right. you know, in costume or whatever. Um, yeah, the, the the one dynamic that was different, and I, I remember I, I tweeted about this, is everybody starts to do the handshake and changes their mind. <laughs> and, right. you know, I, I tweeted that, and again, this shows my age, but uh, David Letterman once, you know, when GE General Electric bought NBC, he brought them a fruit basket and he, he got inside the uh, lobby of the GE headquarters with his uh, fruit basket and his camera crew. And the security chief comes up to him. Dave offers his hand and the uh, the uh, the guy from GE puts his hand up and then goes like that. No. And <laughs> From then on, they called it the GE handshake. It is to reject the proffered handshake and, and flee. I was doing that and I felt terrible. But, uh, you know, I, I at the same time, you know, we've got live long and prosper and all that. We, you know, every, the problem is simply people don't you were seeing people do this sort of jujitsu of going from the handshake and then moving toward an elbow bump, like they were trying to, you know, make it not seem offensive. That we, I no, I don't want to yeah. shake your hand, uh, but you know, I, I'm hopeful that 
you know, I, as, as my friend Maggie Thompson, who used to run Comics Buyers Guide, she's in charge of history of everything. So she said, uh, you know, the, the only reason that people ever shook hands was so that they could prove to the other person in medieval times that they weren't carrying a dagger, mm. uh, that they yeah, weren't actually... Right. They weren't actually going to, you know, uh, uh, you know, stab them or something. So she says, maybe it's time to be done with this. And we'll also be done with everybody getting sick after the convention anyway, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. which uh, which we all uh, have had to go through. So <laughs> just from other things. So so who knows? We'll see how it's going. I'm, I'm looking forward to everyone wearing masks at Dragon Con and no one getting sick. Well, very uh, few people. Yeah, I mean, I, I'm not going to that one this year. But uh, yeah, I assume it will be bigger. Yeah, our our plan right now is for our first convention back to be at Dragon Con, which the numbers were heading different directions when we decided to do this. So <laughs> we're uh, with apprehension getting ourselves yes. ready to to venture back out into the convention scene. I think they finally got their protocols uh, out this last week, but yeah, uh, yeah. yeah. I, I'd like you to I'd like to go to Dragon Con at some point. I mean, I've I've got the, one of their their awards back here, and <laughs> I, I had to get it by mail. Um, oh, right. it wasn't for Star Trek. It was for Battlestar Galactica of all things. That's okay. <laughs> um, so you were telling us a, a funny story uh, from this past weekend before we started recording about your, uh, most recent novel, uh, Star Trek Picard rogue elements. That's right. Uh, so, t- uh, tell that story for our listeners. Uh, yeah. Uh, you know, we were not allowed to sell the book yet because it doesn't come out until August 17th, uh, in audiobook, ebook and uh, hardcover. Uh, but, uh, we were taking pre-orders, so we had a nice sign there for it. And, you know, I, if I were president, I'd, I'd whip out the photograph, uh, not the photograph, but the cover that is somewhere between a painting and a digital photograph of, uh, of, uh, Santiago Cabrera. Uh, and, um, the people who were not followers of the show were looking at this Star Trek Picard and saying, that's not Patrick Stewart. Uh, <laughs> Clearly, they're not Patrick Stewart fans. Then, yeah. Well, it's like, uh, and, I, and, I'm, 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 and so suddenly, I have to launch into this explanation of how branding works. Uh, <laughs> right. you know, that that uh, that uh, you know it, it that uh, you know the 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 person on the cover is not necessarily you know the same person the title is named after. I mean, right. You know, it, He's not Joe the next generation or whatever, you know, I, I, I don't know. It's very, it, it, but uh, yeah, I mean, if people were not familiar with the series, uh, they were sort of like, well, it's a cool cover. And if people were familiar with the series, uh, they were, you know, thrilled and they're pre-ordering. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, to encourage a few pre-orders, uh, can you give a description of the book? Yeah, uh, it is. Uh, it's the third hardcover uh, that we've done for Trek in about 15 years. Uh, and uh, it's also the longest book I've ever written, um, you know, not counting a trilogy uh, that I did a few years ago, uh, which really isn't, isn't a single work. Um, but, uh, you know, what, uh, what it is, is it tells uh, Captain uh, Cristobal Rios's uh, origin story, basically how he goes from uh, having been thrown out of Starfleet uh, to, uh, you know, having this ship, the La Serena, that uh, that he's captain of. Uh, it's back on one of the shelves back behind me. Uh, and uh, it is, uh, you know, it was really very open-ended because, you know, we know people who've watched the first season know what happened to him in the beginning and they know where he's going to be 
later, and I was pretty much given anywhere in that whole decade to work. And I said, well, I want to I want to show how he gets the ship. And, uh, you know, right away, uh, you know, no spoilers here, but I uh, because it's on the back cover. But, um, mm-hmm. you know, right off the bat, uh, you know, we established that he bought the ship from the Ioceans. Uh, the Ioceans are the uh, mm. it's it's the planet of people from uh, the episode A Piece of the Action, right? Uh, which first aired the night that I was born. So, uh, wow. I did not, wow, I did, yeah, I did not see that, uh, <laughs> and uh, when it was on, uh, but I, I was otherwise engaged, um, <laughs> but uh, you know, I I, I guess I should have dedicated the book to my mother, but she's already had her book. Um, <laughs> but uh, but yeah, she uh, uh, rather the uh, the Ioceans uh, are that that race of uh, people on uh, the planet that looks exactly like the Untouchables set from the <laughs> Desilu Studios, uh, which it was, uh, <laughs> and uh, yeah, so it's it's the people that are trapped in sort of. Uh, a 1920s, 1930s, uh, you know, Chicago culture. Um, and I, I I was given the opportunity because nobody had really written anything about them after that. Uh, you know, a, a member of that society did turn up in the Starfleet Corps of Engineers uh, series at one point. Uh, but, you know, as far as what had happened to the people back home and uh, how they had evolved, you know, since then, because now that it's like 125 years or so have passed, um, nobody had touched that. And I sat down and started to think really seriously about what, what would have caused them in the beginning to go for this whole thing, uh, and to, to adopt, uh, this, uh, you know, this, uh, society described in this book. Uh, and then also, uh, you know, what would they turn out to be? What would they be like? Uh, what would the rewards of their society be that would encourage them to, uh, either continue on the path that they were on or uh, adopt Starfleet's ways uh, or or some combination of the two. Mm. Uh, so uh, Rios not only buys the uh, the ship from them, but he uh, he ends up uh, having to finance. And it's a problem <laughs> because uh, basically the uh, you know he he really has no desire when he buys the ship uh, and and the ship is bought with the, with Rafi's help. Uh, he, he has no real desire to actually go into business. He just wants to crawl into a hole. He, he wants nothing to do with anybody. Uh, and so he's immediately uh, behind. Uh, and uh, one of the things that happens uh, very early is uh, the, uh, the uh, Ioceans, uh, the bank, so to speak, uh, decides to uh, take over the operation by uh, putting, <laughs> uh, putting one of their people uh, on his ship. Uh, which is the last thing he wants. Uh, mm-hmm. And uh, that character, whose name is Ledger, I love her. She's hysterical. Uh, and and uh, yeah, everything that follows from that is just this romp that goes all across this region. Um, you know, where we are kind of right now is, um, you know, the the Romulan uh, star has, has gone well, tried to go supernova, and we saw what happened uh, in uh, in uh, Star Trek uh, two thousand nine. Um, what uh, you know, what uh, what has been left uh, is a um, a frontier with the Romulan Empire and a Romulan Empire that has just completely collapsed. Um, you know, it's it's a lawless place. 
Uh, it is a place where everybody kind of feels betrayed by the Federation uh, because of the events that we see in Picard and also the events that are described in the first of the Picard hardcovers, uh, The Last Best Hope, right. uh, which basically, you know, is is the Federation kind of walking away mm. uh, from uh, from the Romulans. Uh, and, uh, you know, I, I really kind of, you know, uh, back going back to my poli-sci days and Soviet studies, um, you know, I, uh, collapsing empires are one of my gigs. Uh, so I, I kind of, uh, you know, walked through again, uh, the thinking of what would this region be like? Who would be the characters that we'd be likely to find? What would the people there be feeling? Uh, and, and how would Rios interact with them? So we have a lot of characters from Star Trek history, uh, that, that turn up that haven't been seen in a long time and some in a very long time. And uh, I am uh, being very careful not to give any of them away yet. <laughs> Absolutely. Uh, but, uh, you know, I, uh, I have to say, when I say that this is the longest novel I've ever written, uh, it is not because they made me do it. It's because I wanted to do it. <laughs> uh, I just, I did not want to let it go. I was having so much fun. And in fact, that was the whole idea in the beginning um, you know, I had just written uh, the novel uh, Star Trek Discovery Die Standing, which right. is the yeah. the Emperor Giorgio novel, where it's her first mission for Section 31. Uh, and, um, you know, it's a really, really dark novel uh, because we're in the head of a character that, you know, comes from the mirror universe mm. and uh, she's dealing with everything she's dealing with. But, you know, there's a there's a pretty you know, big body count in that book. And it's just. <laughs> Yeah, it, it was not an easy place to go to work every day mentally. Mm. Uh, and I, when I was approached to do the novel, I, I, I said, uh, well, first of all, I want to write Rios. And they said, yep, absolutely. That was what we had in mind. And, <laughs> and then uh, talking to Kirsten Beyer, who's the co-creator of the series, I said, I really want to make this book fun. Uh, we're, you know, at the time, it was the summer of last year. Uh, you know, the pandemic uh, had been going, lockdowns had been going. I was pretty sure that whatever happened, uh, I would be writing the book in the winter. And, uh, you know, it, it, I live in Wisconsin, so, you know, it's actual it's, winter. Yeah, there's not anywhere to go anyway. But then there's also the feeling that if there were somewhere to go, you still couldn't go because you're locked down. <laughs> uh, and so I said, you know, if I'm going to be locked in with a book, uh, I want it to be really fun and I want it to be fun for readers. Uh, and so, you know, this is designed as a summer read uh you know this is this should be uh you know a a a nice breath of fresh air after my last couple of novels uh it, it's it's very different from them uh and uh you know also i think it's going to be very different from uh coda which is the next thing that comes out from star trek novels right where they're doing three novels to i guess more or less wrap up the post um you know, sort of the 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 post uh, 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 episode episode. I shouldn't say episode. That's Star Wars. Post the post the post nemesis. Yeah, the post Star Trek ten timeline. Yeah. Uh, that had been established in the books, uh, and so I don't know for sure, but I would assume that that's going to have some dark moments here and there. So, uh, <laughs> or at least heavy moments, I would say. Uh, and and you know, I wanted my book to be light. Mm -hmm. When uh, you mentioned that, you, I thought it was, uh, that was a surprise to me. You talk about the Iotians, which is a, an original series group yeah. of people. And so you're going oh, back in pause, the past. Pause, Keith. 
I don't know what the Ioshans are. I remember several 20s episodes, and I know I've seen it, but I have no idea. The they're, they're the mobsters. Okay, that's what I thought, okay. but yeah. I wasn't yeah. 100% sure. The mobsters. Okay. Veronica, yeah. this, will, this will clear it up. <laughs> <laughs> this will this will this will absolutely clear it up for you, Veronica. One of the stars in that episode played Mel on Mel's Diner on Alice. That's right, Vic Tayback. Yeah, right. but that but that was probably off before she was born. So I don't know. I know, yeah. right? That's why I mentioned it. So yeah. when you you're dealing with two different types of of, of uh, two different timelines and two different properties, original series and yeah. Picard. When you do something like that, and also this character, as you said, people may go, "Why is he on the cover, of Picard?" What are the guidelines that you're giving? Um, were you given free reign? Like, do you get like this general outline that you have to follow, and then you fill in all yeah. the stuff in between? Um, you know, it was different in the days when there were no active TV shows going. Um, right. It, you know, mm-hmm. it was, for example, when I did my my book that won the the Dragon Award, uh, it was a 40th anniversary graphic novel for Battlestar Galactica called uh, uh, Counter-Strike. Uh, when I did that, um, well, there wasn't going to be another Battlestar Galactica original series anything coming for right. you know, a long time, uh, at least not until they could figure out a way to you know, holographically reincarnate Lorne Green. Uh, so uh, I, I, I said, uh, yeah, so on that, I had almost complete free reign in terms of what I could do as long as I didn't wreck the universe. Uh, and, uh, you know, when we get into things, particularly in the modern era where, you know, back in the day, you know, these books didn't have any bearing on continuity anyway, in terms of nothing from them would ever feed back into the TV shows. Right. Uh, you know, it never... You know, they, uh, to go back even further than Alice, uh, you know, one of the books I have over here on my shelf is, uh, uh, and, and and I hate to go reach for it because if I do, hang on a second. <laughs> we can look at your toys on the shelf. Yeah. <laughs> We've got that spaceship on your shelf. There's like a series on the upper shelf. I can't tell what it is. <laughs> if I do, there will be nobody actually at the keyboard for a minute. Uh, but <laughs> this is the first Happy Days novel. Nice. <laughs> Ready to go steady. Wow. In this, no- wow. In, this, in this novel, and I've got a lot of these over here. In this novel, uh, Richie Cunningham gets engaged. Now, back in the day, there would have been absolutely no presumption that this has any bearing on the TV series. There would right. never be a mention of it. There would never be any, mm-hmm. nobody would even pretend that probably nobody involved with it. And I, and I, I met Henry Winkler here in, uh, when he came to a car show here a couple of years ago. And nobody <laughs> would probably even know, knew it existed. Um, but, you know, since, uh, you know, Lucasfilm kind of, you know, proved that you can you know, take all the merchandise and make another world out of it, make, expand expand the universe, mm-hmm. uh, to coin a term, uh, you know, it, it, it's been done, uh, you know, by video game companies and, and, uh, and, also now to a degree with Star Trek, uh, which is to say that, you know, I, I worked on, uh, you know, the, the Picard novel and Die Standing and Enterprise War, which is the one I did before that. All three of them, I, I worked with uh, Kirsten Beyer, who was in the writer's room on Discovery and, of course, is co-creator on Picard. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and in each case, I was told, you know, kind of here is is, you know, where you can safely go. Uh, yeah, here is, here's, here's where, what might be interesting to, you know, chase. Uh, and, uh, yeah, in, in Rios's case, it, it, there wasn't really much to say other than, you know, you know, his character sketch, uh, and, uh, and, you know, here is, 
go kind of where things stand with him and Rafi at the moment. Uh, and of course he doesn't know Picard yet. Um, but I still found a way to get Picard in it. Uh, and uh, that's, uh, you know, that's, that's always nice to be able to do. Uh, mm -hmm. But uh, you know, occasionally, you know, if you're pulling a character off the shelf or something, you do have to get clearance for it. Um, and right. If something is going to overlap something in it in an actual episode or something that's coming up, that's another thing they'll warn you about. Um, you know, the purpose of the Lucasfilm story group with Star Wars is to actually work it both ways. So, you know, they might actually feed you a, a thing that's going to go into the uh, into the series. Uh, and with Enterprise War, that kind of happened. Uh, except Enterprise, uh, or rather, ex except Discovery's second season ended up wrapping before that novel came out. Mm. Uh, but you know, it that that's a book that really hews closely uh, because it's where it's where uh, Pike was during season one of Discovery. Right. Uh, yeah, it really hews closely uh, to the events. It shows Spock and the Red Angel and all of that stuff that we only see in flashback in the second season. Uh, and, uh, you know, so the, you know, the potential is there for things to feed back into it. Um, mm -hmm. You know, the first Discovery novel uh, established um, the first name of Detmer on uh, on the bridge of Discovery. Uh, and uh, and of course, other novels have done that, too, you know, with uh, with Sulu and, uh, right. and Uhura. Right. Uh, and, uh, you know, it, it, the, the fun thing would be if any of my characters live long enough to actually have their uh, their name show up on screen. <laughs> Since you're talking about Enterprise War and you're talking about um, guidelines that you're given, um, Enterprise War, you know, kind of coincides with season two of Discovery, but it also is came out uh, quite a bit before Strange New Worlds. And I don't mm -hmm. know how early in development that was, but I'm curious to know when yeah. you are like establishing a crew on your Enterprise, what did they tell you? Um, I'm sure they didn't say these are the characters that we have in mind that yeah. are going to be on the TV show five years from now or whatever it is. So <laughs> how did you... How did at, you at that, build the crew? At that point, you know, season two existed and mm -hmm. uh, also some of the short treks existed. Uh, and so, uh, you know, what ended up happening is, uh, you know, I had a list of the crew members from, uh, you know, they're going to appear in episode uh, in season two. Uh, and I also, uh, I had a, a um, I had a, uh, I actually kept a visual device uh, it's too far for me to go get, but I, I had a thing on my desk that actually had the bridge of the enterprise. A, it was a, it was a, is a blueprint of it. And with every chair, it not only told me, you know, what station was at that chair, but I had listed there everybody who had ever served in that position, uh, both, uh, in, you know, the cage and in, uh, previous Pike novels, and in um, the Pike uh, comic book series, uh, Early Voyages, right. uh, none of which were necessary for me to actually, you know, I didn't have to, you know, uh, technically, you know, the comics and things like that are not really connected. So if I, yeah, I, I but I liked mentioning those characters. I liked mentioning that there was a character named Moves with Burning Grace as one of the many, uh, you know, engineers, because there were, yeah. there's like a dozen engineers that they've had. Yeah. Uh, so, you know, uh, and, uh, and uh, actually there was a, uh, a case where I thought 
we would be feeding a character in uh, one of the officers in Enterprise War, I thought was going to be one of the characters uh, whose name, who, who appears rather uh, in uh, in one of the short treks. Mm. Uh, but then that episode came out and I saw that the, uh, you know, the, they, they had changed the name of the character. So, mm. it's, <laughs> so it's like, okay, well, there was my one shot, but it so didn't work out. <laughs> but, but on the other hand, um, you know, we, we established, for example, uh, there was a character, uh, Lieutenant Amin, who was, she was one of the, um, uh, she, she worked on the helm. Uh, and we had established in Enterprise War, that she was a um, you know, a mountain climber, uh, and there was later a, uh, a a a short trek where we see her mountain climbing, but in the in the uh, in the turbo lift chamber, right? Uh, and she says, "Let me go. Let me go get my equipment." Uh, you know, that's that's uh, that that was that was one of the cases where we actually were able to do something before it came out. Cool. And it seems like now they're, they're a lot more willing to pull things from the novels. I mean, before you had things like names, but now you have things like control, which is you know, a huge yeah. part of discovery that came out of David Mack's Section 31 control novel. Well, it helps if that they're aware of them. Yeah. Um, you know, like I was saying before, you know, these novels were interchangeable with T-shirts. They were just one more licensed property. Right. <laughs> uh, and it didn't matter uh, what they were. Uh, but you know, when you've got in, in Kirsten, you've got somebody in the room who is not just a reader of the novels, but a writer of the novels. Hmm. Uh, you know, that's somebody who is, is in solidarity, I think with uh, the whole idea. I was just curious how the Lurians became such a big part of the enterprise war. I, I was just thrilled to see the Lurians. <laughs> well, um, and that's one of those cases where, um, you know, I, uh, I had a tie back into the Millerverse. Uh, if you want to call it that uh, <laughs> subset of, of the, uh, of, of Star Trek, you know, every, every author draws on, on everybody else's uh, novels, <laughs> but we all tend to draw on our previous stories of our own. Um, and the Lurians actually appear uh, in a, uh, a, in the first Star Trek thing I did, hmm. uh, which is a novella called absent enemies. Okay. And um if you read it in its proper place in continuity, after having read the Enterprise War, you will realize how tied together those two stories are, uh, because uh, you know they there are uh, we call them Baladonians in the uh, in that novella, uh, but you know you know if you go back and read Enterprise War, you will realize that that is uh, they are they are the heirs to. Uh, this outfit that uh, is is in Enterprise War, and 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 more to the point, uh, you know they they wind up where they are in the novella because of the events of Enterprise War. Nice. Uh, so um, you know it's it's one of those things where it's just sort of you know it, it's it's very casual. It's if if you didn't notice, uh, or if rather if you didn't know the other story, you know you didn't miss anything. Uh, but if you did see it, you'd go, oh, gosh, it's like he planned it. <laughs> <laughs> but okay. of course he did. I have two extremely important questions. Okay. You may not be able to answer one of them. Are they about <laughs> Ferengi? And no. are they about theater? <laughs> oh, oh, okay. Okay. So I have three important questions. 
Wow. <laughs> this is your fault, Alan. Okay. Uh, one, are there any Ferengi in the in the book? Uh, there are Ferengi. Oh, yes, there are Ferengi in Picard. <laughs> yeah! Okay. Uh, well, I mean, the title, Rogue Elements, uh, you know, suggests that uh, these yeah. are... All people True. who are not necessarily uh, uh, above board. That's uh, a good so, point. Uh, this is, I, I really had, had only written a few Ferengi, two or three in the past. So, um, but this is, this is a much bigger deal. Awesome. I love Ferengi. Okay. So second important question. Do, does it talk about the development of the EHs that he has on the La Serena? You see all of it. Yes. Okay. Wow. Then, then, final, extremely important question: Who reads the audiobook? Robert Petkoff. Yeah. Who has read all of the other audiobooks of mine, with the exception of Discovery, which is read by January Lavoie, hmm. uh, and she does just an amazing job because you know, in, in addition to doing a great uh, version of Michelle Yeoh's character, uh, you know, she's able able to do one of the main characters who who happens to be an Irish. Uh, a, 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 a very famous Irish character from the original series, not to give that away, but uh, <laughs> well, there's two uh, I can think of. Well, it's one of them. Uh, <laughs> and and I was just floored that she was able to do that voice. Uh, and wow. so, yeah, because I mean, this is not like one of those things where, you know, it's, it's a, a full cast reading or anything like that. Uh, right. You know, it's one person doing multiple voices. Uh, I'm in the middle of listening to uh, two different Petkoff stories, uh, you know, when I drive or when I fly or whatever, uh, uh, just again to sort of get my head into the space of these characters. Uh, and, uh, you know, he, he's he, he, the Prey trilogy that I did, which was 300 and something thousand words. That's about 37 hours. Uh, and that he was in the, in the studio to do that. Or that's how many, how many recorded hours we've got. And he did something like 150 different characters by my count, wow. five different Klingon women. Uh, <laughs> and, uh, you know, and they're all different. And, you know, to really go above and beyond the call, um, you know, I had had a, um, uh, there was a, there was a, a, a translator named Felix Melmanbeck uh, in Sweden who uh, teaches Klingon. And so early in the process, I said, look, I have these, no I have these words I have to create for this novel. Um, you know, I'd like, you know, can you, can you give this stuff a once over? Uh, and he went beyond that and said, I, I, I can tell you how everything is pronounced. And I said, well, don't tell me how everything's pronounced. Tell the audiobook uh, reader. And that's right. what he yeah. did. He recorded sort of a Berlitz tape uh, to, nice. to have him uh, or, or, or whatever the equivalent is these days uh, uh, to, uh, uh, you know, babble fish or whatever uh, <laughs> to, 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 uh, to help him say everything. And he says it beautifully. So, uh, I, I'm just delighted by that. That's great. That's tough when you're listening to a long book and the, the reader is mispronounced like Koloth or something like yes. that. And they're just saying the name, oh, wrong, well, you know, well, you know, in the, I, I always, I always provide the official, um, pronunciations anyway, or what I want them to be. Right. Uh, and, and, and then what they'll do is they'll go and they'll get the pronunciations from the TV shows and stuff. Good. Uh, but you know, whatever for original characters, whatever is done in the audiobook is the official pronunciation <laughs> right. uh, from then on. <laughs> I, I learned that when I was doing my first star Wars novel, which was the, the Kenobi, uh, mm -hmm. you know, I, 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 the, the family is the Caldwells, but 
they will forever be the Cowells uh, <laughs> because of what was an outstanding uh, audiobook by by uh, Jonathan Davis. Mm. I have a, a question, and um, you mentioned about your interest in politics and international studies. Do I remember correctly? You study journalism, right, in college? Yeah. And yeah, I have a. Uh, I have a I have a bachelor's in journalism and a master's in comparative politics, but technically it was Soviet studies. Right, and you went to UT, which um, right is that right? Yeah, UT yeah. Knoxville as an undergraduate, uh, Louisiana State as a as a graduate student, uh, and in there I also went to the uh, the Russian immersion camp that they have at Indiana University. Fascinating, and for those <laughs> wow. and for everybody, I have to say UT is not the UT that is the real UT, which is University of Texas of Austin, because I'm from Texas. So I, just have to <laughs> I, thought you, I, I thought you were going to say. I thought you were going to well, say. Well, you know, wait till you get it. Wait till you get in the SEC, and then we'll. we'll oh we'll yeah, that's going to be a whole other. Crazy but actually, thing. It, it, I'm sorry to say, it won't be Tennessee that will uh, you know do anything about it. It'll probably be LSU. So. <laughs> yeah, this is true. <laughs> so I was reading that when you were you were you were at one point thinking about going into the, the sciences, right, electronics or something like that, and then yeah. you, you went into journalism. What was the journey there for you? Because well, my you, my. De- my my dad was the electronics guy. Uh, mm. That was that was his whole career. Uh, I I had actually you know briefly thought about being an engineer, uh, yeah. and I remember you know senior year of high school, I was really into uh, the space program and everything. I right. really you know, honestly, once again, it was fiction that got me there. Uh, it was because I had gotten obsessed with um, the the movie Twenty Ten and the novel uh, by Arthur C. Mm-hmm. Clarke. Yeah, and and that. that and so my thinking was, I'm going to build spaceships because I know I can't get into NASA the other way. <laughs> uh, I'm going to build spaceships. And I also am going to learn Russian because everybody knew who watched that movie that you're going to need Russian. Uh, so, that's where, <laughs> right. so that's where so that's where that started. Nice. Um, but, you know, then I, I got uh, well, two things happened. First of all, the Challenger blew up yeah. uh, and uh, I still went to. Uh, in my spring break, everybody else went on the, the senior senior cruise. Uh, me and a buddy of mine went to, first of all, we went to Baton Rouge for the NCAA uh, 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 regionals where we were horribly mistreated because our team was playing LSU, horribly mistreated <laughs> by the other fans. But I, but I realized then that they were so obnoxious, those fans, I had to go to LSU someday. Um, and I, I was very, I was very fortunate because I timed it for the exact, my two years and Shaquille O'Neal's two years were the same two years. So, so we were, so I saw, I saw just about every game of his, uh, but, but yeah. Um, so, so yeah, we went, we Baton Rouge, Louisiana to, to new Orleans, to, uh, you know, Epcot to the space center. And again, the space center, and this was only like, say, not even five weeks after the challenger uh it was so sad oh, i mean gosh. it was yeah there were still people there because it was spring break but um you know the tour bus y- you couldn't really go anywhere mm-hmm. and, you know they just drove us past the vehicle assembly building that's the big mm, big monster yeah. there uh and and you know they said inside there is where they're putting together the remains of the ship oh my gosh, oh my gosh. and i'm like mm. oh uh, so, so we have that dynamic going on and it was pretty clear to anybody who was watching at that point that it was going to be three or four years before the shuttle program got going again or whatever it ended up being. Yeah. Uh, and then the other ha- thing that happened is, um, yeah, I made the mistake of testing into honors calculus, 
because uh, because <laughs> I, I I I got to the first class in college, uh, and you know my second mistake was staying in that class. Mm-hmm. Uh, it was really because you know there was this blonde that was sitting right in front of me. <laughs> I'm sure uh, that helped. Well, I you know I had just gotten to to college, and it's like. She's very friendly, and we, we we went out a couple of times. But it was but it was, it was sort of like I, you know I, I thought well you know if this is how college is going to be this is going to be great, uh, but no 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 I I really once once I realized that I did not care what the limit was and I wasn't going to try to calculate what the limit was in mm-hmm. a calculus sense uh, infinity or beyond or nowhere I had. You know, I, I I I walked across campus to. I was already the editor of my campus, uh, my high school newspaper. I had been doing fanzines for years uh, on my photocopier at home. And I was like, yeah, well, please take me. Uh, and and so yeah, I I went into journalism then. Uh, but uh, but yeah, I mean, uh, I still you know try to uh, you know read up on science wherever mm-hmm. I can, but it's not really so much. Uh, it's not really so much that I'm I'm you know a practitioner. I just need to be able to fake it. Um, <laughs> you know, I need to get close enough for Star Trek purposes, uh, and and uh, you know, and also you can get some ideas from it. Um, Star Wars, you can't get any ideas from anything scientific. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's not allowed. I mean, it's right. it's, a, it's a it's a fantasy universe, mm-hmm. right? Um, when you're uh... Okay, so uh, over my many, many years, I have read a number of media tie-in kind of novels, mm-hmm. and I've always run into situations where the characters don't really sound the way that they sound on television. So yeah. I'm curious to know how you, uh, what's your process for studying up on these things and um, how you uh, go about trying to capture the voice of each of these characters. And particularly, I'm curious to know about die standing because yeah. uh george o has a very very particular way of acting and oh speaking. yeah so i want to know how you how you really well you you that. you watch them and yeah. you know she she's different in the mirror universe where she rules all yeah. than in our universe where she's you know just thinks she rules all uh <laughs> and and so you know i kind of watched that change with her I, I, I watch, you know, scenes with her in it where she's both the main character and also the scenes where she's not. And I see how she's responding to things. Yeah. And, um, and I kind of go from there and uh, I got to say, when I wrote that novel and I turned it in, I said, I want to, I want to caution you, Margaret Clark, my editor. I I said, I want to caution you. uh, This is the filthiest Star Trek novel we've ever done (laughs) because uh well, it's because she's very well. She's sex positive to begin with, in terms of uh, in in terms of her own lifestyle. But then also, uh, she uh, you know will throw innuendo out there that would not fly on a Starfleet bridge. Um, she also will throw insults that would never throw, fly on a Starfleet bridge. Yeah. Um, yeah. She uh, you know is you know her her pH level is very very acidic uh, in terms <laughs> of her speech, uh, and and you know she is. And she is also not above messing with people's minds. Uh, you know, one of the bits, the running bits with Leland, uh, who, you know, mm-hmm. she just despises yeah. uh, in, in this novel is she is she is constantly 
uh, 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 telling him how he died in her universe. And <laughs> every time it's different. Every time it's horrible. It's like, you know, you, you died on Mars, uh, a disease, you know, they ended up naming after you, you know, and, uh, and, and it's, it's, you know, all of it is, and he's just, please stop doing that. Uh, because, you know, most of the people that she interacts with, like Cornwell, uh, uh, the, the Admiral, uh, are, you know, Cornwell is a, is a psychiatrist, a psychiatrist, so or a psychologist. So she's like, she sees through her and what she's mm -hmm. doing and what she's up to. Yeah. And that's some of the, that's one of the most fun dynamics in that. Yeah. Um, you know, the, it, but I, I love writing her when we, you know, we always choose an opening, uh, you know, sequence, uh, you know, or a, 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 you know, a quotation from the book to put in the, you know, in the front or mm -hmm. in the book jacket. Um, I deliberately, it was originally going to be a different one. And I said, no, no, let's get this one from where she's being interrogated. Uh, and she's been hit with truth serum. And she has absolutely no, you know, compunctions about what she's saying. And um, it really lays her character, you know, out there. And you realize there's almost no difference between, you know, when she's answering questions honestly and when she's, <laughs> and, and, and when she's saying terrible things. Uh, yeah. Because she's doing them both. <laughs> Uh, so no, I had a I had a blast with it. I had a blast with the interplay between her and uh, and well, I guess we could say Dax is in it or a Dax is in it. Yeah, Emily, Emily Dax, Emily, and you know, mm -hmm. apropos to now, this is the Olympian Dax. So this right. is <laughs> this is a a very petite woman who you know has uh, you know seen a lot of success, but she has now aged out of the Olympics, or rather, she has taken herself out. Uh, because she doesn't want to be, you know, benefiting from the fact that she's she's symbiote, uh, or she's got a symbiote, uh, and and so you know this is a person who is very uh, it just naturally would normally be considered meek compared to her, uh, and they have a wonderful byplay, and then this Irish character, uh, which I'm <laughs> sure people can guess, uh, again uh, their interplay is 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 wonderful and. And that was what made it kind of better going to work in, you know, her mindset. Mm -hmm. um, you know, now with a with a book like with Rios, uh, you know, it, it was very easy to get right in the right when we meet him. Uh, this it's a well written first scene where we get everything we know about this guy in the TV show uh, when we meet him. I mean, he's he's sitting there with with a unexplained hunk of metal in his shoulder right. <laughs> uh, right. he's, he's drinking. He doesn't want the, uh, he doesn't want help from the medic. Uh, you know, he, he's, he's, he doesn't want, uh, you know, anything to kill the pain. Uh, and he's just, everything he says is under his breath, you know, mm -hmm. whatever, you know, and, and, and I said to, um, you know, the, the, uh, the audiobook reader, because I, I give some, you know, some notes, uh, it, when I send them along, I said, you know, his, his two, uh, his two gears are, uh, disinterested mumbling and, uh, and sort of, uh, when he gets really upset, just sort of an aggravated, <sighs> right. <laughs> why, why, why do I have to deal with this and these people? Uh, I wanted to be alone. Uh, and by contrast, we have all the other Rioses who, you know, we don't get right away, but you, you, you realize uh, what kind of a range this actor has.
Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Oh yeah. Definitely. Yes, for sure. Oh, to pick it back on what Alan just asked you, which I thought was a good question. When you talk about getting someone's voice, right, both the actual audio voice and how you write them. If you think yeah. one thing we always talk about is since I grew up watching the original Star Trek to this day, my vision of Kirk still yeah. is the Shatner from the first half of the first series not the yeah. captain who talks like this and so forth. I remember Shatner in yeah. the very first half of the original series where he was right. really dramatic and serious. So when you write an established character, do you sometimes have to make sure that you don't write them almost like the stereotype? Like you could write Worf a certain well, way or you could write Picard a certain way. You know what I mean? I that try to hook into what they were, how they were being portrayed at the time. Mm -hmm. uh, so for example, um, you know, when I'm doing, uh, when I did the Kenobi novel, uh, that was set, uh, you know, a month after it's, it's, it's the first month that he's on Tatooine. Mm -hmm. So that's Ellen McGregor. I mean, yep. it, right. there, he's beginning to slowly go towards Alec Guinness uh, and some turns of phrase can be Alec Guinness's, mm -hmm. uh, but the cadence and how he talks uh, in my mind when he's doing that, it is there. Um, you know, I will mentally cast, uh, you know, some characters, uh in 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 when i'm writing a book as well uh where i'll hear their voice uh uh you know it's it's uh as as i'm writing and uh you know it's it it varies from book to book to book uh but you know i uh you know i i you know again that that character that's the the mobster uh uh you know sort of accountant that's in that's in uh, that's in Rogue Elements. Right. Uh, you know, she, in my head, she was constantly bouncing between uh, early uh, Catherine Hepburn and early Rosalind Russell. Uh, <laughs> and and again, part of that was because I wanted to talk like people were talking then. Yeah. In the early 30s, mm -hmm. uh, the phraseology that I was hearing come out of those characters' mouths then uh, it was like that. Again, you know. Um, you know, it, it it all depends. I mean, when I wrote that first, uh, you know, that that very that very first ebook that I did, which was a, the novella uh, um, from uh, from uh, it, it's called uh, Star Trek Titan uh, Absent Enemies. There's a scene in there that uh, where actually Riker and Picard kind of get the giggles. Uh, and, um, I remember because nobody knew who I was at the time. And I was just sort of this guy who'd shown up from star Wars. Uh, yeah. Some people were horrified by that. And my response is look at when it is during the show. Uh, when this is by the time this is, cause this, this storyline was a, uh, or the story was a sequel to, um, the, uh, the, the, the next phase which I think is a fifth season episode. Mm. Uh, it's the one with Jordy and Roe that they get trapped between dimensions. Mm -hmm. um, the Romulans, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And I, yeah, that story actually explains how the Romulan is able to sit down when he has no, no physical mass. Uh, how, he, how he's able to sit down in a chair and not fall through the, uh, right. fall through the ship. Uh, I made that my job to, to explain. I don't know why. <laughs> um, but, but, you know, I said by, by season five, this is a crew that has learned to laugh about itself. Right. Uh, Riker has grown the beard. There are, you know, we've had face bombs by this time that are not simply, <laughs> you know, yeah. uh, you know they're, 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 they're not of anger. They're just like, okay. Yeah. You know, uh, and, and it is possible to have this moment. 
This is a crew that just two and a half years later would be making Worf walk the plank. Okay. <laughs> Good point. Good point. So, so, and, and I responded to that to somebody and said, yeah, but I hated that scene too. And I'm like, <laughs> there well, you go. <laughs> I can't, I can't help you then. Uh, if it's, 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 this is the document I'm working from yeah. and this is who they were at that time. Uh, and so, yeah, um, when I'm, when I've, I've only written Kirk uh, ex- in any extended form in that um, in that uh, Prey trilogy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and uh, that was Kirk after Star Trek four. Mm-hmm. Uh, so, you know, by that point, uh, you know, he's actually a little bit past the melodrama. Uh, he's, yeah. he's, uh, yeah, he's, 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 uh, he's kind of a, he's, his cadence is a little slower at that point. Right. Well, I think to your point too, when you mentioned about the Picard and Riker getting the giggles, I think your point, one thing we talked about on our show is both Picard in the series and Patrick Stewart in real life loosened up yeah. being working yeah, well, the generation, you know? Well, well, and that, and that, and that is, that is mostly to Jonathan Frakes uh, uh, credit because, you know, they, <laughs> yeah. if you go to, if you go to TV tropes, you'll see that the flip side of jumping the shark is growing the beard. <laughs> and yeah. Yeah, when, as soon as as soon as he says, "Look, let me loosen this guy up. You know, let's give him a trombone. Let's give him." Yes. Uh, well, actually, he doesn't give him the trombone. It was it's it's uh, uh, Melinda Stodgrass, who I was on a, a panel with just four days ago. Uh, <laughs> nice. uh, but yeah, I mean, let's give him some interest. Let's loosen him up. Let's loosen everybody up. Yeah, mm-hmm. uh, you know, everybody in the first season acts like their underwear is shrunk. Uh, <laughs> yes. They're, they're, yeah. They're they're all very very uptight, and uh, yeah. you know I think by the time we get to the mid middle series, uh, that's what everybody really loves. Oh yeah, and and to your point, as you know, they're you're, you weren't far off with the underwear comment because the uniforms in the first season were giving people back problems. They were so they, they didn't like the design of them. Yeah. Well, let's pretend I intended that. <laughs> <laughs> so when does Star Trek Picard Rogue Elements come out? What is the release date for that? It is August 17th. Right and that is corner. audiobook, ebook, and uh, hardcover. And, uh, you know, it's it's uh, one of a bunch of things I've got out. Um, oh, yeah. <laughs> uh, you know, we had so much stuff at the uh, at the table in Raleigh. It was kind of crazy. Um, the, the big monster here, and I... Really, it, it weighs seven and a half pounds. Uh, yes. Is the Star Trek: The Old Republic omnibus? Yeah. Wow. It is every story I wrote for Star for I wrote Star Wars. Star Wars: <laughs> The Old Republic omnibus. We were going to crack you. No, it's okay. No. Uh, Star Wars: The Old Republic omnibus. It is one thousand three hundred and forty-four pages. It is everything I did for the Knights of the Old Republic comic series. Wow. Uh, it's it's beautiful. It uh, is uh, you know I it's. It's uh, you know, about a dozen artists and me uh, wow. writing the whole thing and uh, just found out um, literally an hour ago that uh, uh, one of the websites that tracks sales and one of the websites that tracks sales, which I don't run because I run Comicron uh, mm-hmm. at the same time, uh, you know, found out that it was the, like the number three uh, graphic novel last month in dollar volume. Uh, 
Yeah. Which is kind of easy to do when it weighs when it when it weighs seven and a half pounds and costs $125. <laughs> right. But <laughs> but even so, the only two things that beat it were a uh, were uh, in it uh, was invincible and Loki. Uh or 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 actually what's what's the one with the 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 TV series right now? I think that might be it. Yeah, that's but, it. But, yeah, they, they both got they, they both have TV series, and we don't have yeah. a TV yeah. series. Right. We right. just have a we just have a real big doorstop of a book. And, <laughs> uh, so uh, so so that is out. Um, also, Marvel reprinted my Lost Tribe of the Sith comic series in another big thing, and that was the last book I did that was really similar to Die Standing because that was Lost Tribe of the Sith is all villains, mm, uh, yeah. and so it was kind of uh, kind of a similar dynamic there, uh, and uh, and. I'm sure there's some other stuff that's out. Well, yeah, they uh, Titan just put out a uh, a hardcover. Uh, there, there's a two hardcover collect two hardcover collection series they're doing. Those that are collecting all of the short stories that ran in Star Wars Insider magazine, mm-hmm. uh, and uh, and so uh, I've got stuff in both of those volumes. Uh, and so, kind of all the orphan material is starting to finally find a place. Yeah. <laughs> So we're kind of getting close to time, but I do have a question that I want to ask about the the, the near future. Yeah. So Discovery Season 4, Prodigy, Lower Deck Season 2, Strange New Worlds, what are you most looking forward to? What are you most excited about? Uh, you know, I'm, I'm interested in all of them. Uh, you know, I can't play favorites. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, uh, I'm, I, you know, I... Obviously, though, you know, I've I've got this closer connection with uh, you know Discovery uh, and uh, and also you know er- everything having to do with Giorgio and, and and that as well and and then of course uh, you know Strange New Worlds, which I keep accidentally calling Brave New Worlds. Uh, <laughs> you know, ob- obviously that's 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 got uh, Enterprise War connections right. as well. Right. Uh, so. You know, I, uh, I, I'm always, uh, you know, I'm just glad stuff's coming out. Oh um, man. Yeah. yeah, absolutely. Yeah. We're excited about it too. Yeah, absolutely. Well, where can people follow, follow you on the internet? A uh, number of places. Uh, farawaypress.com is my main website, uh, behind the scenes pages on, uh, most of everything I've ever done. Uh, every comic book, every novel, with the exception, really, of my last five Star Trek novels, because uh, these essays are really long, and there's chapter on every you know, trivia on every chapter, and you know, every time I get going on it, I get another project to work on. <laughs> uh, but uh, I have uh, Twitter, JJM Faraway. Uh, I have uh, on Facebook, I'm John Jackson Miller. Also on Instagram, John Jackson Miller, although I don't really get to that nearly as much. <laughs> uh, and uh, then the, the aforementioned, um, you know, uh, comics sales figure and history website, that's Comicron, C-O-M-I-C-H-R-O-N.com. Uh, there's also a, uh, a Twitter by that name, a Facebook by that name, and even a Patreon by that name. Ah, nice. Wow. Um, I have a million more questions, and there's so much stuff that we haven't gotten to, like uh your trilogy, Prey, which I really wanted to talk about. So I hope that you will allow us to invite you back another time. Sure enough. Awesome. You hear yeah. it here. Yeah, I got a lot of questions right. too, like digital versus uh, paperback <laughs> and hardback and Star Wars yeah. versus Star Trek writing. There's a lot oh, of yeah. questions. Alan's right. Oh, yeah. 
Well, I'll say to that, uh, may the force live long and prosper. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I like it. Thank you for listening to Earth Station Trek. If you enjoyed the show, please subscribe on your favorite podcast platform. Give us a positive rating. You can also send us feedback at earthstationtrek at gmail.com. You can join in the fun on our Facebook group or follow us on Twitter. You can also visit us online at earthstationtrek.podbean.com. We'll see you next time. Live long and prosper. This has been a broadcast of the ESO Network. Be part of the crew and help support our shows by donating to our ESO Patreon or by shopping for the Tee Public Store, which can all be found at www.esonetwork.com. The ESO Network, your station for all things geek.